I'm excited. I, I'm so excited that I, I lost count. You would think that I could count to four and five pretty easily, but I, I've been thinking that I'm on week five of David. I'm not. This is week four, okay? So I've jumped the gun, but that's, that's what it is. Uh, we're, we're on week four of this series called David, Heart, Flaws, and All, and uh, I'm excited about it because of who he is, but I'm just going to go ahead and warn you all. Um, this, this will be the first where we see a chink in the armor of David. We'll see one of his flaws, and uh, we'll see some strength in it as well. But the, but the man David in the Bible, the, he's, he's this, this king, uh, he's the second king of Israel. He's described in Scripture as a man after God's own heart. And who here didn't walk into church unless your parents drug you in here, like your friend tricked you into like a Starbucks order later? Uh, you're in here because you're, I want to be after God's own heart, right? But most of us, when we gather in church or when we gather in religious settings, it's like, how do I know what God wants for me? How do I, how do I navigate this really hard thing in my life? Because, because there's all this hope in the gospel. There's all this hope in scripture. There's all this hope in the Lord. But my life is really not matching up. My life doesn't seem like hope is available. My life seems more chaotic. And I just want you to know that, that your humanity uh, is not whitewashed in Scripture. What you're going to see is that David's life was also extremely chaotic. And what David went through uh, and what we'll read today is, is probably one of the hardest and scariest and, and for some of us the most realistic thing we've ever seen. And uh, before we recap where we were, I just want to say what, the, what one of the topics, we're going to talk about a couple of things today, but one of the topics we're going to talk about today is that David experienced domestic violence in his home. Uh, essentially his adopted dad, his stepdad, or ever how you want to nail the king on this, uh, it becomes very violent towards David. And David has to navigate an extreme extremely scary situation. And for some of us in here, this is going to be informational. It's going to be, uh-huh, I understand. Wow, that really stinks. And, and we're going to learn together. But there's going to be a few of us in here and a few that are online inevitably that this isn't just some hypothetical experiment about what domestic violence may or may not do. For some of us, for some people we know, domestic violence is like, it's, a, it's an immediate and it's a significant threat. And there's a lot of questions that people ask when they're in the midst of domestic violence, when they're in the midst of a, an abusive spouse, when they're in the midst of abusive parents. What does God want me to do in this situation? And there's a ton of bad advice out there. We're going to try to weed through the bad advice. We're going to look at how David handled it, and we're going to, we're going to land in, in some, some places. But uh, a little way of an introduction, but also a little way of warning that if that's a raw topic for you, uh, or maybe a very present tense topic for you, um, that's going to be where we go. And if, if for whatever reason, uh, during this message, or uh, preferably not during, because I'm, I'm busy right now as we speak, but if you would like to talk, uh, you know, or if you're online and you're just like, uh, I'd like to talk, e- email me or email one of the other staffers, we, we, we would understand. But let's see where we've been with David. Uh, again, we're on week four. And I, I want to do this in terms of timeline, because I said last week, because we did Goliath and stuff, and people are like, oh, there's a giant. It's a myth. But, but it's written as history, okay? Uh, it's written so much as history with so much specific dates and, and uh, uh, locations that you can actually put a timeline on these things. Now, the farther back in time you go, you, you probably know this, it gets a little goofy about like which year. Like you might be off by three or four years, but you can get really, really close. And the reason for that is like during the transition to the Gregorian calendar, we lost some years and nobody really knows. Like in the 1100s and the 1400s, we just like, we gave up six months one time. We're like, we moved from April to October in one year. And so weird things happen 
if you go back far enough in time. But roughly speaking, uh, in 1052 BC, uh, our boy Saul, he becomes king at age 30. And you may remember that uh, from a few weeks ago, but, but the Lord never wanted Israel really to have a king. It seems to be that the Lord was going to continue bringing judge after judge after judge, but the people are like, no, we want what they have, and what they have is a king. And God says, hold on now. You're going to get a king, and he's not going to be what you want. He's going to take your people into war. He's going to take your land. He's going to take the best of everything you have, and he's going to make a war machine out of it. And the people said, I don't care. I want a king. And so they get Saul. Uh, he is taller than any other Israelite. Um, he is extremely handsome, Scripture says. Um, and he makes his entire kingship, kingship, king, his job, uh, makes it uh, all about him. He's a guy who probably started out with the best of intentions, but he gets into a fight protecting a city from a bully, and he gets a taste for that cheer, that, that applause you get whenever you have to stand up to a bully. And so he just goes around picking fights. And so in his leadership, uh, Israel uh, just does this one thing really, really well, and it just is picking fights with the neighbors. And, and they were at peace, but now they're not. Uh, for the next uh, several decades, uh, King Saul uh, just runs the kingdom that direction. And it has all of its economic problems and all of its violence. I mean, every time you turn around, one of the cities is being attacked, and it just it shouldn't be that way. Then the next week, we looked at David, and we find that, that the Lord is going to remove the kingship, the kingdom, from Saul's hands and Saul's family. And, and the Lord says, I'm going to find someone better than you, Saul. And so we see that King David was anointed in about 1025 BC, uh, and he was around the age of 15. So uh, my teenagers in here, this would be essentially some, some man picking you out of a crowd and be like, you will be the next president of the United States, putting oil on your head, and then you have to live with that for the next few decades. Uh, like, when is that going to happen? Because David, he gets anointed as king at age 15, but then like life just sort of un keeps going. Uh, but what we see then is that David, he doesn't, he doesn't lean on this promise. He doesn't brag about it. He doesn't let his ego get in the way. He just serves faithfully in the in-betweens. And if you remember the challenge to us that week was, like, how are we doing in the in-betweens? Because unless you have a loved one in the hospital or some other immediate tragedy, or you just had a new baby or some other immediate celebration, you're in the in-between as well. And David is a call, he's a beacon on what it might look like if we stayed faithful to the Lord when it's boring to, when there's not a lot of drama going around, when there's not a lot of chaos. We just, we just stay faithful in the in-betweens. And then last week we looked at David and Goliath. This occurs in about 1020 BC, about five years after he's anointed. So David went from being 15 years old to 20 years old. And for those of you who have made that transition from 15 to 20, there's some things that happen. Like you, you bulk up, you get stronger. Uh, he, he goes up against Goliath uh, and he defeats him. But even then, what David leaned on whenever all the rest of Israel for a month and 10 days said, we can't do anything about this problem. What David leaned on was, you guys are staring at the problem. My Lord has delivered me from this bear, from this lion. He caught one of them by the beard, he says, and struck him down. I would love to see that one day. And he says, this, this boy Goliath, is gonna be, he's just going to be like that bear. He's going to be just like that lion. Because the Lord saw me through this. I know he's going to see me through that. And he knows he's going to see me through the next thing. What David did uh, with the story of Goliath isn't that he just got into a fight with a giant and won. What David did was what he, he looked at a problem that was bigger than anybody else had seen. And he says, still my God's bigger. And my God's been faithful to me from my birth. My God has seen me through this, and he's seen me through this, and he's seen me through this. Why would he give up now? My, my Lord will see me through the very next thing. And this is a promise to you. Uh, I, one, one day something's going to get us, and, and we're going to die, but it's not going to be because the Lord like, wasn't powerful enough to do it. 
whatever your history of following the Lord is, lean on that, that memory of what the Lord has done, because that's going to be what gets you through that next know, argument with your boss or problem at, at home, that the Lord is faithful. But things are going to go bad for David. Things are going to get scary. Uh, and so we're going to start in 1 Samuel chapter 18, uh, and I want to see how this goes. This begins... Um, right after David has uh, mopped the floor with Goliath. Uh, he has uh, taken the head of Goliath, and he's gone, and he's, he's delivered it. Uh, he goes and he talks to Saul, and he's like, hey, I got rid of that problem that you wanted. So he just has finished talking to Saul when we pick up here. And it says, And as soon as he had finished talking to Saul, the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David, and Jonathan loved him as his own soul. Let me pause real quick. We haven't talked a lot about Jonathan. He's come up before this, but we didn't, we didn't talk about it. Saul had a son, and his son was Jonathan. And if you watch any kind of old like kingdom movie kind of show where there's a king, and then he needs to hand the kingdom down to somebody, where does it go to? Goes to the sun. That's exactly right. And so Saul has been training Jonathan to be the next king. Saul is, tr- he's the first king of Israel, but he's trying to create the first dynasty of Israel. And it's going to be in the family line of Saul all the way through. But you and I know that the Lord has already moved in another direction. You and I know that the Lord is doing something different, that he's going to move the kingdom towards David. But Saul hasn't come to realize that yet. And he's been, he's been training Jonathan all throughout this moment. But after David defeats Goliath, something, something happens where David and Jonathan, the scripture says that their souls are knit together. We would say just like, like brotherhood. Like we would say best friend. We would say, I don't know, it's like a providential relationship that they just looked out for each other. Um, what, what Jonathan will end up doing uh, before the end of uh, the, this book is he essentially just gives up the kingdom to the will of the Lord, to his friend David. And he, he looks at David and he says, you know, uh, our souls are knit. We're, we're gonna, we'll keep unpacking that. But verse 2 says this, And Saul took him that day and would not let him return to his father's house. Now you may remember that David, in that in-between being faithful, he's being faithful to the dad and faithful to the king. He would go to the king, get to the palace, and like play a little song, for a little ditty uh, for the king, and then he would go back and take care of dad. He was allowed to go back and forth, but from the time that he killed Goliath, it says that, that Saul took him that day and would not let him return to his father's house. This is foreshadowing uh, for our, our you know, people who like stories. Um, Saul's about to go to some dark places. And it begins with him taking all power away from David to make moves on his own. And he says, you know what? Uh, you're going to stay here with me. Which is kind of good news. It sounds like good news. Like if you, if you lived with the king, it's like, oh, I get to hang out with the king more. That's, that's not bad. But, but Saul, Saul's in a dark way already. And it says, then Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as his own soul. And Jonathan stripped himself of the robe that was on him and gave it to David and his armor and even his sword and his bow and his belt. And David went out and was successful wherever Saul sent him, so that Saul set him over the men of war. And this was good in the sight of all the people and also in the sight of Saul's servants. And so Saul has, uh, he has a champion in David. Now, uh, us with some political mindedness, you just had a kid go and defeat the giant, right? Defeat the biggest problem. You, do you want to keep him far away or do you want to bring him in close? And like every time he's seen, you're seen with him. You want to, you want to keep him close, right? And so he's brought David in close. Jonathan's given him all the, the, the royal armor, all of this. And, and Saul's like, hey, I want you to go fight them. He would go and he'd fight them. He'd win. 
And he'd say, okay, I want you to go fight them. He would go and he'd fight them and win. Everything that David did, he found success, but it was always violent because Saul's agenda is war and battle. That's, that's what the leader was te- training him to do. And with this, this thing, this David being in, in command over a ton of people, is good in the sight of all Saul's servants. And it says, as they were coming home from one of these battles, I suppose, when David returned from striking down the Philistine, the women, they came out of the cities of Israel. Remember uh, how handsome they kept saying David was? He was a good-looking guy. Every time he went into battle, he's about to go kill the giant. And, and Scripture pauses like, he was a handsome guy. And so, so he, he's just a good-looking guy. He's a warrior. Uh, he's doing battle. Everywhere he goes, he's doing battle. People just like him. And now the women, they see him coming into town. And it says, uh, they started singing and dancing to meet King Saul with tambourines, with songs of joy, and with musical instruments. And the women sang to one another as they celebrated. Love these lyrics. Listen to this. Saul has struck down his thousands, and David his ten thousands. It doesn't rhyme, but it gets the point across. Uh, they, they are celebrating this, this team, Saul and David and all these armies. And Saul, he struck down thousands of people. Yay, Saul. But David, whoo, little cat whistle in the background, right? And he struck down his tens of thousands. This song uh, that they sang, it, it ends up spreading through the whole kingdom. Uh, it comes up at least two other times in just this book. He'll tr- one, at one point, David goes and tries to hide somewhere, and someone recognizes him, and the whole town starts singing the song, and he has to go and leave, right? And so it's like they know who he is everywhere he goes, uh, and this digs into Saul's heart. Saul, Saul is quite narcissistic, and Saul is a little bit of an egomaniac. And Saul is a little bit psychotic. And Saul is a little bit dangerous, and he hears the people singing the song. Oh, I've killed my thousands, but him his ten thousand. It says in verse 8, And Saul was very angry, and the saying displeased him. He said, They've ascribed to David ten thousand, and to me they've ascribed thousands. And what more can he have but the kingdom? And Saul eyed David from that day on. From that moment on, Saul, Saul, there was a threat to my kingdom, Samuel's already promised, someone better is going to come and take the kingdom from me. I'm going to give it to somebody else. And now he realizes who it might be. He says, from that day on, uh, he, he, he looked at David. Saul just stared at him. What we're reading uh, is uh, an escalation in, in conflict. Uh, as far as we can tell, uh, and as far as anybody knows, I guess, uh, David is completely oblivious to this. But there's something going on in the heart of the people in power around him that, that is crumbling. It's rotting out. And there's this thing about animosity. There's this thing about anger. There's this thing about hate and venom uh, is that it leaks out. It doesn't appear that Saul wants David to know this, but it's going to become very apparent to everybody in the household, Saul hates David. It's going to affect Jonathan. It's going to affect the servants. It's going to affect everybody. Listen to me. Uh, one, one pull away. If, if we can learn anything from Saul, for all of his problems, he's a great cautionary tale about what happens if you don't address the beginnings of problems in our lives. He's not addressing the mental illness. The only thing he's got is some dude who plays the guitar for him, and that guy is who he is currently hating on. He's about to alienate himself from every source of support he has, but he doesn't reach out for help. And, and he probably doesn't want the kingdom to pay a price for it, but it will. Um, if you are, you know, at some point we have to, we have to address what's, what's in our hearts. It says in verse 10, The next day a harmful spirit from God rushed upon Saul, and he raved within his house. He's angry. 
And anytime Saul is angry, who has to come calm the animal down? David does. David has to come play his guitar. And so David, like, he's just doing his job. He's being faithful. Like, I can't wrap my mind around it completely, but David is like, he's being sent out to go fight battles, right? Go do, go do Saul's job for him. And when Saul has a bad day, come in and help him out. So David is a hardworking fellow. Uh, so he goes and fights the battles, but now he's back. And it says, he raved within his house while David was playing the lyre. And uh, as he did day by day, Saul had his spear in his hand. And Saul hurled the spear, for he thought, I will pin David to the wall. But David evaded him twice. Not once, but twice. So Saul, he's so angry at this guy. Uh, he, for whatever reason, he's thinking, I can pin him to the wall, right? I'm going to throw the spear at him. What's more likely? I'm going to hook the, 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 the garment of his shirt and pin him to the wall, or I'm going to kill this kid. He's not thinking rationally. He's starting to act out in anger, uh, and it's starting to bleed out into his relationship. And so he throws the spear, tries to hit David. David ducks it because he's a pretty sweet warrior, right? And he's like, hey, I imagine there's a conversation. What was that? Like, why'd you do that? And, and Saul just grabs the spear again and tosses it at him again and, and, and misses again. He says, David evaded him twice. Good night. This is the part where this is either, oh, wow, this is, this is an educational moment, or this is a part where I remember being in a situation like that. You know, you know we, we don't live in a, in a world, right, where, where people are throwing spears at each other, but, but I have memories of people in my family like throwing Zima bottles at each other, right? So, like, it, it just, it's a thing that, that people, people who grew up, people who have experienced domestic violence, they know, like, what's going through David's mind right now. Uh, people who have uh, engaged in domestic violence are like, I've, man, when, when I, back in my drinking days, I was just like Saul. You know, like they, they, can, they can see the humanity in those. Um, there's so much humanity here. So Saul was uh, afraid of David because the Lord was with him and had departed from Saul. Saul was afraid because he saw in David the goodness of the Lord. What was Saul's motivation for going against David? He saw the Lord in David. And he's at odds. He's been fighting the Lord for the last 20 years. Going against everything the Lord says. He's been making up religion this entire way, trying to compensate for a broken relationship with God. Instead of leaning on and doing the things that he should have been doing, going and making sacrifice, going and seeing Samuel saying, I need help. My relationship with God is broken. He never did those things. He tried to compensate for them. But when he looks at David, he sees sweetness and he sees goodness. I'm going to get him. I can't stand that kid. He says, but... Uh, the, the Lord was with him, but had departed from Saul. So Saul removed from him his presence and made him a commander of thousands. And he went and uh, out and came in before the people. And David had success in all his undertakings, for the Lord was with him. And when Saul saw that he had great success, he stood in fearful awe of him. Every time David had success, Saul got more and more angry and more and more afraid about what was coming his way. But all Israel and Judah loved David, for he went out and came in before men. So Saul's uh, answer to this is, sure, David is the only kid who can help me with my anger problem and my mental illness, but he's a problem, and I need him out of here. And so it makes him commander of thousands. We find out later that Saul actually sets him up to die, uh, that he keeps sending his army into places that are going to get him killed, and he doesn't die. David, David wins every time he goes into that battle over and over again. And so the more he wins, the more angry Saul gets. Um, I, I don't have time to teach that part. I just want to remind you that in about three weeks, we're going to tell a story about David where he has a chink in his armor, uh, and he sends somebody else out to die. Where did he learn that from? Where did he learn how to send somebody else out to die in a battle? He learned that from a stepdad who did that to him. 
Uh, but David, if you remember last week, he was promised to live uh, rent-free for killing Goliath and to get a princess. And that hasn't happened yet. So the next several verses is uh, David. He's supposed to marry the oldest uh, daughter of Saul. Uh, her name was uh, Merab. Oh, I'm sure she's beautiful. Uh, Merab is the oldest daughter of Saul. Uh, and Saul says, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go do these 10 things, impossible things. And David goes and he does the, the impossible things and comes back and finds out that Merab has been betrothed to another when he gets back. So months have gone by. He's like, golly, I can't, I can't please this guy at all. But the younger sister, uh, McCall is her name, found David to be extremely lovely and was in love with David. And David says, great, a princess. And they married and they lived happily ever after. No, they didn't. Uh, but he does marry the second daughter of Saul. And if you scroll down to verse 28, it says, But when Saul saw and knew that the Lord was with David, and that Michal, uh, Saul's daughter, loved him, Saul was even more afraid of David. So Saul was David's enemy continually. Then the commanders of the Philistines came out to battle, and as often as they came out, David had more success than all the servants of Saul, so that his name was highly esteemed. Now Saul has done uh, has created a, a little hole for himself. David is my problem. I need to get rid of him, and I send him out, and he keeps having more success. Every time he sends him away from him, he can't stand to look at the kid, but every time he sends him away, he has more success, and it makes him more powerful. Every time David is obedient to what his boss is telling him to do, uh, David is successful because he's, he's faithful to his boss. He's faithful to his Lord. Uh, sure, things were weird a year or two before this when, when Saul tried to pin me to the wall two times, but, you know, I'm not around him. And so I, I married his daughter. Maybe I see him at Thanksgiving, but, but I'm just out here. I'm just doing my thing. At no time do you see David, like, going to a king next door and being like, let me tell you how bad my boss is. Like, can you please, can I just come work for you for a while? He, he, he doesn't. He just keeps his head down. And he keeps going at it. Well, fast forward a little bit. Uh, Jonathan and Saul start having a conversation. Jonathan doesn't know how crazy his dad is yet. And then Saul's like, hey, we've got a problem. David's a problem. I'm going to get rid of him. And Jonathan's like, no, you can't do that. Why, why would you? And so he gets, he gets Saul to this point, like, you know, David's been faithful to you, dad. He's, he's been a good, like, follower for you, dad. And so we pick up in uh, chapter 19, verse 6, and it says, And Saul listened to the voice of Jonathan. And Saul swore, as the Lord lives, uh, he shall not be put to death. And Jonathan called David, and Jonathan reported to him all these things. And Jonathan brought David to Saul, and he was in his presence as before. So, so we have a, a moment of domestic violence. Saul can't stand the look of David, sends him out. And basically, it's just like in passing, but he's not living in the house. He's just in passing, seeing Saul from time to time. And Jonathan says, hey, listen, I talked to dad. Uh, he feels really bad about it. He made a promise to the Lord. Did you hear that? As, as long as the Lord lives, I'm not going to put David to death. I'm, I, would never, I would never do that. You're right, Jonathan. He's, he's a good, good guy. You know, the pattern of uh, abusers and um, people, people in, in different forms of, of sickness, to, they, they'll do a thing and then they feel bad about it and then they'll apologize. And they'll do a thing and then they feel bad about it and they'll apologize. And they'll do that thing. I'll never do that thing again. I'm so sorry. And then they apologize. Saul is, is living this out. Uh, I would also argue that this is really great evidence that this is, this is being accurately recorded because this is written in uh, 1000 BC, give or take. Um, 
they don't have psychology. They don't understand the, 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 the brain of an abuser like we do now. We, we would say, well, look, you just open up the DSM-5 and you can just read the patterns of behaviors as, a, as they come to... For, this is just some guy like, I don't know anything about psychology. This is just how it happened. Saul tried to kill David twice. Uh, David gets away. Saul's like, I'm so sorry. Okay, go get him. Bring him back. We're better again. We're, we'll bring him back. Verse 8. And then there was war again. And David went out, because he sent out, he went out and he fought with the Philistines and he struck them with a great blow so that they fled before him. Not only did he beat them, he beat the fire out of them. I love this. Like David's getting better and better at war and he's just, he keeps getting sent out. Then a harmful spirit from the Lord came upon Saul as he sat in his house with a spear in his hand, just sitting there. What are you doing in your house with a spear, Saul? Are you reliving the good old days? Like some, some like washed up old college athlete holding the football in the trophy? And just, you know, you're getting drunk and angry. Like, what, what are you doing with a spear? You sent David out there to a war, but he's just sitting in his house with a spear in his hand. It says, and David was playing the lyre. He's playing that guitar. He's just helping out his adopted dad. And Saul sought to pin David to the wall again with a spear. But he eluded Saul so that he struck the spear into the wall. So he throws the spear so hard that when David ducks, it hits the wall and it sticks. Now that sounds impressive in our building because we have sheetrock everywhere. They built things a little bit more sturdy back then. I don't know what the wall was made of. Cedar? I don't know. Uh, was it, was it, did it stick in the crack of the brick? Who knows? He threw that spear so hard that it stuck into the wall. And so you hear, boing, you know, know, like a little cartoon. David ducks it. He hits it. It's now the third time this abusive father figure has come up against David, and he's out. I've got to get out of here. He's already apologized. I'm I'm done. I've got to get, I've got to go. And so he leaves. It says, and Saul sought to pin David, oh, uh, excuse me. And David fled and escaped that night. And so Saul sent messengers to David's house to watch him, that he might kill him in the morning. Now, Saul is not giving up. He's not calming down. It's now escalating to the point like he's sending people out. It's like, I've got a mission for you. What's that, boss? Kill him. And they all are like, I guess we got to go kill him. So they go and like hide out around his house. But Michal, remember David's wife, who loves him greatly, told him, uh, if you do not escape with your life tonight, tomorrow you will be killed. This is, this is the, Saul's daughter. It's like, David, I'm telling you, you don't know him like I know you. If you don't get out of here, it's going to escalate even further. He's, he's, he's probably just going to kill you. So Michal let David down through the window. He gets out the back door, I guess, and, and he fled away and escaped. And Michal took an image. Let's see here. Michal took an image. If you uh, have that uh, in your Bible, if you're open up to a real paper Bible, you probably see like a little footnote next to the word image, or you have a different word than the word image. You probably have the word idol. Uh, or underneath it, you may see the word idol, the word household god. Look, look what happens. Michal uh, took an image or an idol or a household god uh, and laid it on the bed and put a pillow of goat's hair on its head and covered it with the clothes. You guys remember when you were trying to prove to your parents that you were still in bed, but you had snuck out the window? You remember that? And you put all the pillows under the blankets and you like draw your face on the pillow and like put goat's hair on the pillow because you have goat's hair and, and your parents like bought it. You remember that? They invented it back then. This is really old. <laughs> you know, it's interesting. She didn't go and get like a stranger, like a person, uh, to pretend to be David laying in bed. She didn't go and get, uh, I don't know, a bunch of pillows or something. She went and got an idol. Here's a question I want to answer Where did she get a false idol? Where did she get a fake God? How is, how is it that, that McCall 
the, the wife of David, who is a man after God's own heart, is like, I need something. What's the first thing I can grab? A fake God. This is the first chink in David's armor that we've ever witnessed. Something wasn't quite right in David's life. At no point do you see that he's worshiping a false god, but somebody was worshiping a false god in his own house. Uh, some people want to say, well, no, listen, David would never allow for that. I read some commentaries on it. They're like, well, she probably went out into the streets and found a false Really? You've got assassins sitting in your driveway. You're going to go out like, hey, I've got to get this false god real quick. I don't think so. I don't buy that. I don't believe that David was engaging in like false worship. Like he, he's he all this faith in God here, but at home and in secret, he's worshiping a false God. But I do believe he tolerated it. I do believe McCall was like, hey, listen, you have your God and I have my God. And, you know, I'm just, I'm just going to do this thing. And okay, there was, there was no sincerity uh, at, at home. There, there's a real risk, uh, guys, that, that when, when we have a, a public life and a private life, there's a, an incredible risk when they don't line up. If, if, if your public life, uh, the way you engage with your coworkers and your boss and this, don't match up with your private life, the way you engage with your wife, your husband, your kids, you're going to spend a lot of energy trying to keep these two lives separate. You're going to spend a lot of energy trying to prove to both groups that you are who you're pretending to be and never actually just existing and being. There's an incredible amount of freedom if your public life and your private life match up. And here's what we know about David, is that his public life is... The Lord is with me in all things, and I can go and battle anybody, including a big Goliath, because God has got me. But in his private life, at least one person in his household is like, that's great for you. Uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do my thing over here. Uh, I, I, think, I, think, I think it's a chink in his armor. And when Saul sent messengers to take David, he said, uh, she said, he's sick. You know, he's, he's in there uh, throwing up or something. And then Saul sent uh, the messengers to see David, saying, uh, bring him up to me in the bed. I don't care. Just grab the whole bed. Let's go, that I may kill him. Bring me the sick kid on the bed, and I'm, I'll just take care of him right then. When the messengers came in, behold, uh, the image was in the bed with the pillow of goat's hair on its head. Saul said to Michal, why have you deceived me thus and let me go, uh, let my enemy go so that he has escaped? Michal answered Saul, well, he said to me, let me go. He said, why should I kill you? Dad, he threatened to kill me. Daddy, daddy. You know, Michal, she, she's okay like helping David hide and she's okay finding the false God, but she won't look at her dad and say, dad, you're crazy. She said, He's, he was going to kill me, daddy. David flees. Last verse, now David fled and escaped, and he came to Samuel at Ramah and told him all that Saul had done to him. And he and Samuel went and lived in a word I can't pronounce, Naoth. Naoth. It's gotten scary for David. Um, he's enduring um, broken relationships all the way around him. Uh, Saul is legitimately trying to kill him. Now, it's, no, it's not a misunderstanding. It's not just when Saul is drunk. It's, it's really turned into a bigger problem than he can handle. And everybody around him knows it. McCall knows it. Jonathan knows it. Now Samuel knows it. When David fled for the last time, he ran to a man of God. He said, help me. Samuel, help me. He runs to the church, essentially. So it says, help we, we, we live in a society where there's a ton of violence. There's a ton of reason that one would want to escape or find refuge. And they run to the church, and the church doesn't always handle it well. 
and sometimes sweeps things under the rug. There's entire denominations that are in, in court battle right now as we speak because they've gotten caught sweeping decades of stuff under the rug. And that is not how the people of God should operate. David needed rescuing. And his world was falling apart, and he ran to the people of God. He ran to Samuel, and Samuel did exactly what he should. He protected him. He listened to his story, believed his story. I think Saul's crazy too. It's pretty obvious to everybody else. I'm, I'm going to protect you. Here's, here's one, one takeaway. It's not even the main takeaway of the message, but one takeaway of the message is the people of God should protect the vulnerable in our society. Yes? Amen? We shouldn't, we shouldn't dismiss the vulnerable. We shouldn't minimize the vulnerability. And we shouldn't try to overly spiritualize, well, you know, uh, maybe, maybe he's just having a bad day. The Lord wants you to be reunited. Listen, the people of God should protect the vulnerable in our society. Here's the main point of the message, though. Here's what we learned from David. David, he didn't quit when things got hard. He didn't. Things were getting weird with Saul. Uh, he was sent on fool's errands, meant to get him killed, and he just he, he was faithful, and he did his thing, and he was successful. He didn't quit his job when his job got hard, but he did separate when it became violent. He did separate when it became toxic. And here's, here's why I think that this is a, a huge takeaway for David. This is something that we can learn together. Um, we, we have two uh, uh, very, very unhealthy extremes in, in our culture. We have a, a situation, we have a job, and it's the boss is just like putting so much work on you, and it's just really, really hard. And, and you have a friend who means well, it's like, oh, you should quit. You, you, the marriage is like, it's not, it's not the honeymoon phase anymore, and it's just like you're at odds, you're constantly talking about the budget, and you're just constantly talking. It's getting harder and harder and harder just to keep the marriage intact. Parenting is getting harder and harder, and you have, you have good people who want the best for you, and they say, give it up, just, just abandon it, just quit. That is, not, that is not the right response. When things are hard, it's when to be faithful. When the relationship is broken, that's why all those passages about uh, uh, forgiving one another exist. They don't exist for when things are great. They exist for when things are hard. Quitting is, when things are hard is not the right answer. That's one extreme that I think David helps us see a clearer image on. But the other extreme uh, is potentially more toxic. You have a, a marriage where one spouse is extremely abusive to another, and then the, the one goes and gets counsel, maybe speaks to a godly person. This godly person says, well, listen, God, God doesn't want you to have a divorce. He wants you to work it out, and like, go, go back there and just, just work it out. And after like the third or fourth time, they stop looking for help, and they're just like, I'm stuck. I'm stuck in this situation, and it's toxic. David didn't leave and say, I'm done being a, a, a member of Saul's kingdom. He doesn't do that. You're going to see some things next week about how David handles this. But he does separate. If, if uh, online, uh, maybe you have, a friend, uh, you have a friend who's going through this, send them this video. I'll talk to them real quick. Um, if you're in an abusive relationship, your spouse is very violent, uh, God would be okay with you separating. And just, just saying, I'm going to live in this apartment, and you live there. So do that. Protect yourself. Protect your family. Protect your kids. And nowhere in God's word do you see him saying, okay, listen, I know that it might get deadly, but I need you to stick it out. No, not at all. There are a ton of ways to be faithful in a separated relationship. A ton of them. Um, but we have, we have really bad advice that says, no, no, God wants you, wants you back together. When David, uh, when things got hard, he didn't quit. But when things got toxic, he did separate. 
He did find a way out. So here's, here's what I want to close with. I want to close with asking you two questions um, to avoid those two extremes. Um, in what areas are you called to stick it out when it's hard? When, when I was talking about things being hard at work, were you thinking about like that one report? Were you thinking about that one, one coworker? You're just like, I'm, I'm just ready to, I'm ready to call it quits. I wish they had quit. I, I'm just ready for, uh, are you called to stick it out? Just because it got hard or uncomfortable, there's something beautiful on the back end of that. There's something beautiful when, when relationships are restored. There's something beautiful when, when you see yourself through that hard thing and you grow to the point where you did the thing you never thought you'd be able to do. You had the discussion, the conversation you never thought you'd be able to have. When you grow to the point that you push through that, you have that in your toolbox for the rest of your life. And people who mean well say, oh, you should just quit. And you lose out on that growth moment. In what areas of your life that are really hard right now, should you stick it out instead of quitting? Let me ask the second question. In what areas in your life are you called to set a healthy boundary and potentially even uh, a separation of sorts? You know, if you, if you have a boss who's just all over the place, and, and it's just, they, they, they use you as a punching bag. Every time they have a bad day at home, they bring it in, and they're in the office, and they're just talking to you, and they, they make you feel this big. That is a toxic relationship. Maybe you should have a hard conversation and say, listen, I, I, don't, I, just, I can't help with that. Uh, I, I, feel like, I feel like you're using me to work out other things, and I, just, I don't want to be a part of that anymore. And maybe he fires you on the spot. I don't know. But the Lord is in favor of you being able to set a healthy boundary between you and other people of power, you and uh, a spouse, you and your children. You have adult children who are just constantly uh, uh, talking negative to you, talking bad to you, and then, then you want to cover it up or you want to you you know, uh, compensate for their mistakes. The, I think the Lord would tell you, um, how about you draw a healthy boundary? How about there be some separation? They don't want to respect your boundary. They don't respect your no then I'm sorry, we, we just we don't have much to talk about right now. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go find another job. Uh, I, hope, I hope you all the, all the best. The Lord doesn't intend for us to, to stick it out in toxic relationships. And the Lord doesn't intend for us to quit every time we get uncomfortable or hurt. And David, he threaded that needle. He walked right between those two lines. Uh, was there some flaws in his life? Absolutely. Um, but he shows us there's a way forward in the Lord. There's a way to grow beyond both of those elements and find success. And that's what I hope for us today. Let me pray, uh, and then we will watch the cue together. Father, um, this morning, I, one, I thank you for the, the, the faithfulness of the story, um, faithfulness of your word, not to, not to whitewash the, the human condition. It's heartbreaking to know that you know, 3,000 years ago, people are dealing with the same stuff then as, as we still see today. We haven't really gotten better as a society. Um, we still have hard things that we deal with. We still have toxic things that we deal with. Lord, help us to handle those well. By, by your spirit, Father, will, will you help guide us into truth? Will you give us the strength to draw the boundary? Will you give us the strength to separate if we need to? Will you give us the strength to stick it out if we need to? By your spirit, Lord, would you give us the wisdom to know the difference? Um, we thank you for the example of David. And uh, may we, uh, all of us, uh, may we live as an example for, for others in our lives of what it looks like to be extremely faithful uh, to our Lord who loves us and uh, who protects us. Uh, we love you and pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.